My name is Eric Arnau, and welcome to part two of February's Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast. Before we get to the episode proper, we've got two important Your Stories recordings coming up that we want to tell you about. Uh, first up, this Sunday, February 19th, we're returning to our home at Chicago's Upstairs Gallery at 5219 North Clark for our monthly Your Stories recording. The show starts at 7 p.m., and as always, it is free! Also, FYI, this month has a very loose music theme, so if you've got a nerdy song you're dying to share, please feel free to do so. Uh, then, on Monday, the 27th of February, we've got the first of what will hopefully be many remote shows for your stories. That's right, nerds, we are bringing the shows to you. So please join us at Challengers Comics, 1845 Northwestern Avenue in Chicago at 7pm for another round of comedy, music, and more. Again, this show is free, and it's at one of the best comic shops you will find in any city in America, or the world, probably. Uh, we'll have a couple Nerdalogs troop members there performing uh, prepared material as well to ease any newcomers into the show. But please, if you have never been before, you shop at Challengers, or you just think it would be cool to go, we are happy to take anyone who hasn't been as well. That is awesome. Uh, if you want the skinny on more upcoming performances, including a bunch of sketch shows on the horizon, uh, you can go to nerdalogs.com. And if you'd like to give us feedback on these shows, which we would love, you can email us at nerdalogs at gmail.com or drop us a line on our Facebook page. We, again, would love to hear from you. So, on to the show at hand. Uh, this episode, we've got Nerdalogs performer Bill Kenkel giving us a horrifying lecture on existential dread. Film blogger Aaron Pinkston with an oral history of his terrible haircuts and pub theater writer-producer Byron Hatfield with the story of less-than-ideal summer jobs for teens. Uh, once again, guest musician Matt Heckler joins us this time to perform three of his own awesome songs. If you dig Matt, please check him out online at hecklermusic.tumblr.com. That's T-U-M-B-L-R, no E, for people who aren't hip to Tumblr. All right, you guys, uh, we're going to get to the show. Thank you very much for listening. Hope to see you at Upstairs Gallery or Challengers. Rock on. This is a song I wrote in high school about a book I was reading in high school. Oh, 
That's a song about 1984 by George Orwell. Uh, this is not a song about a book. <laughs> this is my most recent song, which is still in its infancy, so let's see how this goes.
All right, coming to the stage first, we have a member of the Nerdalogs troupe and a man who earns his money experimenting on poor little animals. <laughs> Bill Kenkel, everybody! That's, that's the best introduction I could have. Matt, that was awesome. Thank you. And uh, uh, independent of its unique awesomeness, which it, which it possessed, uh, it, was, it was also possessed an awesomeness in that it was a great segue into the bleakness that I am about to uh, engage in. Uh, Eric, what did I put for the topic of this? Uh, this says existential dread. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote this on the plane yesterday. Um, in case you guys don't know, I, uh, I work on brain science. And uh, this is not unique knowledge, I don't think. If anybody's taken a psych class, and may have talked about this. I just sort of made this like connection recently. Man, I like I got this big old boner for science. I don't like to talk to you guys about it. <laughs> not my boner. That's a separate monologue altogether. <laughs> but I talk to you guys about science because you see, if you have a problem, let's say cancer, science has a solution. Maybe there's a drug. And, and this drug was tested by first giving a mouse a tumor and then seeing if the drug will make the tumor go away. It's pretty straightforward. But what about if you want to make a drug to cure anxiety or depression? Well, Galileo Galilei said, Measure what is measurable and make measurable that which is not so. Tonight I want to talk to you about the forced swim test. Uh, this is a test I've done uh, only a few times, but... It's done a lot. The force swim test is also pretty straightforward. You force a mouse to swim. First published in 1977 by Porsault et al., who found that drugs which best help humans overcome depression also help mice swim in the force swim test, making it a good model for testing new drugs. You need to know what's a cheap and like reliable way to make a new like antidepressant, because it's a huge market. Uh, also to help people, I guess. Uh... <laughs> So, I'm going to explain the simple genius of the FST, the four swim test. You take a mouse and you drop it into a tank of water from which there is no escape and measure how long until it gives up trying to look for a way out. When I looked today, there were... This test had been used almost 4,000 times uh, since, you know, in the past 40 years. And it's probably only going up and up and up. Um, it's one of the best tests that we have of an antidepressant's efficacy. And, and that's it. That is the best analogy that science has to offer for the chaos and stress of our existence, is to be dropped into a tank of water from which there is no escape. And this is science. If some French new wave filmmaker came up with this analogy, everyone would be like, ah, the mouse, look how he struggles. Jean-Paul, you have truly captured the dread and the existential angst of life. Well done, mon ami. But no, this has been validated. There are, like, there are studies and studies and studies. There are 4,000 studies saying that this is a damn good model of what's going to work. And to fix you, to fix what's wrong with people, just means that you go longer without giving up on this hopelessly unwinnable scenario. Think about that the next time you delude yourself into believing the universe for one minute gives a shit about your hopes and dreams and desires. <laughs> 
happiness is scrabbling around the edges. <laughs> you guys have had a very, very positive kickoff to the night. I feel like there's a lot of love and energy and, and happiness in this room. Uh, let, I don't know if he's going to keep it going, but coming up next, we have uh, my good friend, uh, a film blogger. Uh, Aaron, what was your favorite movie last year? So they can judge you by your taste. Favorite movie of 2011? Yeah. Now, favorite movie that came out worldwide in 2011? <laughs> <laughs> Films that were released maybe in 2010, and but were released in the United States in 2011. All right, I'll just cut to the chase. It was Green Lantern. Aaron <laughs> 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 That's actually funny you mentioned that, Eric. Just an update on my movie-watching habits, quickly. Uh, 2011, 583 films during the year, so that's up 38 films from the previous year. Uh, so, a wise man uh, once told me that the, the essence of a good story is conflict. That was, of course, Eric Garner who told me that. <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I don't know if I can attribute the quote to him, but but he told me this. But uh, the story I'm going to tell tonight uh, actually has no conflicts. Uh, the story tonight is about hair. It might not be. Maybe it's not fair to to call what I'm going to talk tonight. About as a story because, well, one, I'm drastically unprepared for this. Uh, but also, this is more, I guess you would call it an incomplete oral history of all of the haircuts I've had in my life. <laughs> now, at the end of this, though, it may just prove the, the adage that Eric had, had told me about conflict. Uh, because this will probably not be a good story. Uh, okay, so the the first uh, haircut, uh, strange or odd or weird or whatever adjective you want to use haircut that, that I can remember was kindergarten, uh, where I, I sported a nice, I would say probably seven, eight inch rat tail. Mm. Now, a lot of people, you know, have rat tails. I, this one, I personally, I can't blame myself um, for children of that age, the... Some of them, especially me, didn't quite know the difference between right and wrong. <laughs> now, parents do. <laughs> and I have to blame them for that one. Uh, I mean, what parent in their right mind would allow their child to, to grow something that has been termed a rat tail? <laughs> I mean, that, that's pretty self-explanatory enough in itself. Uh, I completely shaved head minus a long tail coming from from the back. <laughs> it's yeah, it's ugly. How many here? I'm gonna do a thing here tonight where to see there are a lot of men. I, I doubt many of the female audience here will have some of these haircuts I'll be talking about tonight. But I want to do a running running poll to see if anyone else has had these at any point in their life, just to see how special I am. I guess anyone else who had a rat tail? Couple three, okay. All right, that might be the winner, but maybe not. Um, the hair, haircuts, uh, they also can be influenced by pop, popular culture, uh, which is a running theme that you'll see uh, in a couple of the, the haircuts I'll talk about. Um, I, I guess just sort of an anecdotally, now this is one that I've not had, but, but you hear about in the, in the mid to late 90s, a lot of women going to the salon, getting the Rachel, you know, from yeah. friends. Uh, 
Of course, I, I haven't had the Rachel in my life. That that would that would be one I would certainly talk about, though. But um, no, this haircut, um, I would say, would come around 1990 and was inspired in part by the immortal words, stop, collaborate, and listen. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it was just me or my friends or the people that... That I knew, um, but there was a there was a trend going around where you would get what were called vanilla ice lines, <laughs> where you would get in the in the sides of your hair, you would get oh. three lines shaved in <laughs> as Vanilla Ice had in his hair in his uh, in his music video. So how many how many people? <laughs> so we got a couple more there. That's good. So three and three. So three's the top so far. Okay. Now Bill has had both, just so we know that. Yeah. So, Sean, oh, Bill, Bill has had both. Okay, yeah. so we got a couple who've had both. Oh, Jesus, he's fashionable, man. Yeah. Uh, okay, so um, another that was inspired by by popular culture. Um, actually, um, when I was a child, I was a, a, a fan of um, uh, professional wrestling, WWF, and uh, there was a professional wrestler that I was a huge fan of. His name was Tanaka. Uh, he was a Native American with a giant mohawk. So, uh, so I told my I told my dad um, that I wanted to get a mohawk, and I, I, you know, he was also the person who allowed me to have a rat tail. So this this might tell you something. But he took me to the barber shop uh, around the corner, uh, and we told him what I wanted. I wanted to get a, a mohawk, and possibly, you know, for for the better, the the barber. Kind of looked at us both and went, "Really? <laughs> sure, that's that's what you want." This is a very old-fashioned men's kind of barbershop with the pole, nobody under fifty cutting your hair sort of place. So, and I said, "Yeah, I want it." My dad was like, "Yeah, yeah, you, you can have it. It's fine." So actually, what he did, he didn't give me a mohawk. He 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 left a thing in the middle, but kind of didn't shave everything totally. Just kind of. Like, kind of buzzed it, but, like, there was still hair, but he didn't want to go all the way, you know? He was he was probably scared, you know, that we would complain or something, which I guess I can't blame him, but uh, what we did when we went home, my grandpa actually shaved the rest. <laughs> so, I, so I did have the mohawk. Uh, the best part about this is at the time, let's see, this would be, um, I would probably be around the age of uh, 10 at this point. And uh, at the time, I went to uh, the Mormon church. <laughs> yeah. So I was rocking the Mohawk at the Mormon church. Uh, and surprisingly, they loved it. All these, I mean, the church was the, the congregation, it was mostly uh, older older people, and they. I had my little nice little shirt on with the Mohawk. Uh, I remember a picture of a photograph being taken. I couldn't find it. I wanted to, to find it and bring it in. Um, but surprisingly, they loved it. How many here, anybody with the, the full on Mohawk? That one's a little, I feel like, a little. More socially acceptable in an odd way, but all right, I got one, so that's coming in third place so far. <laughs> and the Mormon Church will come back later, and I'm taking a long time, so I'll try to speed this up. Uh, one of my, the my most prominent haircuts, um, I feel uh, a, a child of uh, let's see, uh, this would be middle school age, um, so probably like 12 to, to 15. Uh, we're called Buzz Banks. Buzz now, buzz bangs are where your hair is grown 
And then you shave, you buzz your hair, everything except the bangs. Oh, yes. Now, the buzz bangs, uh, I sported the buzz bangs for a number of years. Uh, and this I, is it's a nice, simple, durable haircut. You had a little flare in the front. It's kind of a reverse mullet, I guess. You <laughs> you're, 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 you're all straight in the back there, but in the front you got a little flare. Uh, so I really like I like the buzz bangs, um, and uh, also uh, around uh, around this time another uh, uh, cultural influence on my haircut was uh, 1992 to 93. At some point, uh, these were of course during the second three-peat for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, the three-peat featuring Dennis Rodman. Oh. I think you may know where this is going. Um, but a local haircuttery at the time, uh, in honor of the Bulls championship victory, was giving uh, was giving haircut, uh, giving hair dyes, a la Dennis Rodman. So, um, so I went in there. I had my da- hair dyed bright red, and also as a little accent, got a Nike swoosh. <laughs> I'm guessing nobody probably had that one. Any Nike swoosh? Nike swooshes in the head. Now, of course, as you can imagine, uh, with a haircut uh, such as this, uh, the swoosh didn't really <laughs> look much like a Nike swoosh. I mean, this was this was a fifteen dollar haircut, you know. Uh, not to say ill of of the the wonderful young woman who who gave me this haircut, but it it did look quite a lot like a check mark. <laughs> Uh, as you can tell, shaving things into my head is, is also become a mini theme here. Uh, one of my favorite uh, shaved head, uh, uh, shaving in head stories comes from uh, one my grandfather. Um, I'm not exactly sure why this happened, whether this was my idea or his strange idea. But um, uh, for those who don't know, well, I guess you all know, but maybe not. My name is Aaron. It starts with an A. So I decided to have an A carved into the top of my head. Right up here. So it said A in a spot where no one could see it unless you were really tall. Uh, that's also another one that I, I used to have a picture from but, but can't find it. Uh, anybody have their initials carved in their hair here? No? I had lightning bolts. Lightning bolts? Yeah. Never did lightning bolts. Really but bad. there's still time. Bad. Bad. Not the bad symbol, but a bad. Just a bad. Now, I'm going to fast forward uh, to when I was, uh, let's see, 23 years old. Uh, I was at the time living in Boston. I was working on campaigns, uh, doing recruitment for campaigns. And uh, there was, it was actually very timely. It was a a leap year that year. Uh, So... uh, I went to a party, and the, the theme of the party was a theme party. I don't know what why the theme was this. It had something to do with a leap year ending on a weekend or something like that. But the theme of the party was to dress up either nine years in the future or nine years in the past. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought about going as a bum because I, I figured that would be an easy... Uh, an easy, easy way to project myself nine years in the future. Uh, but instead, I again gave myself buzz bangs. <laughs> and I kept them. <laughs> so I've had, I've, I've had a lot of wacky haircuts. Um, I, now usually I just cut my own hair. I don't really, or just don't cut it. 
Um, but as uh, as you can tell, I've, I've, another prominent feature is is the, the beard. Which now, okay. So beard. Yeah. Um, so I, I love my beard. Um, it's had it's itself had many forms. I won't bore you with all of them. But uh, one thing I, I would like to, to talk about with my beard that is is fairly annoying about it, as you can tell, is is I get it, it grows really low onto my neck, which is really gross. I usually kind of used to trim that up, um, but I, I kind of stopped doing that. And um, I think I know why that happens to me. Um, when I was in high school, um, we went on a field trip to Nauvoo. Anybody yeah, know Nauvoo? Big Mormon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, where the where John Smith, I believe, started the, the Mormon Church. It's in Illinois. I was talking about Nauvoo. I totally went to Nauvoo, too. I was like, that's amazing. Uh, and the, the thing there, um, uh, they had a lot of, in one of they had like a museum, and they had a bunch of pictures, and all of the, the, the gentlemen, they, they, had, they all had beards, except none of them with any hair on their chin. It was all just on their neck. So I think my short time at the Mormon church, and then stop being to go maybe maybe I was supposed to be at that Mormon church I think uh, it was some sort of calling uh, I don't know, uh, as, as to why I, I have this this gross awkward neck beard yeah. but um, that's it thanks guys Bye. I think there was conflict in that story. The conflict is between Aaron and fashion. <laughs> now, this is coming from someone who has had terrible haircuts most of his life, so I'm with you, brother. Uh, all right, uh, coming up next, we have the owner of the pub theater company, a writer, producer, extraordinaire, and a fantastic guy to boot, Byron Hatfield, everybody. Um. I didn't raise my hand during a hair thing, but it was only because you didn't say mullet. <laughs> or <laughs> I don't. I felt like you were really brave, like throwing yourself out on hair. And I was like, I'm not the guy who doesn't raise his hand because I'm embarrassed. I was just like, fuck, don't say mullet, don't say. You know, like there's certain things you're like, don't say it. Um, or the uh, friends, like during the bad years when they had like kind of the really preppy hair, where it's kind of swooped over a little too much. Yeah, my senior. I don't even remember having it. I saw my senior picture recently. I was like, oh, God. Yeah, not to jump in on you, but during not my bleach. senior pictures, I had bleach blonde hair. One that I didn't mention. Yeah. yeah. Did that once. <laughs> <laughs> See? That would have won. That was four. You would have. There you go. That's the winner. Um, I grew, and, and the reason, and the segues nicely into my story. Uh, I grew up in East Tennessee, like in the hills and valleys. I'm a Hatfield, which means nothing to most people, but or at least in the north and the south it's like this big feud thing um, and I had a highly weaponized youth which plays in this story I have a brother uh, one year younger that we like we both grew up but it's somewhat of a miracle both because of the highly weaponized nature and I mean like when we would be you know like we, you know, we want ninja stars my dad would be like well, I was like alright yeah you know, like, just automatically, the same way your dad would be like, all right, let's cut some hair. My dad was always sort of like, all right, yeah, you know, whatever. You know, kids need to have. We live by this theory of, my dad lived by this theory, so we live by this theory of, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. <laughs> so, and we like to think of ourselves as very smart, but my dad considers us dumb. My brother and I, for good reason, like, within two days of having our first BB guns, my brother took very, very close aim on a spider on its web between a fence post. 
did not realize my head was on the other side of the spider. <laughs> it's immensely painful to be shot in the head <laughs> at close range within six inches by a BB gun. You know, and so my dad was just constantly fraught with sort of like a scream, you know, like come running up, like, he shot me in the head. You're like, why are they beating the crap out of your brother? He's like, he shot me in the head. You know, like, God, you're idiots. So he's to be forgiven to a certain degree. Um, the other aspect that leads into this short story is that my dad was also rather closed mouth about events that he would be taking us into. So it would often be on a Saturday or something to be like, hey, y'all, you don't have anything to do, right? And we're like, well, we're fucking 14. No, we have nothing to do. Be like, all right, go in the truck. And you're like, where are we going? And it's sort of a, you'll see. And you're like two hours later cleaning out like his friend's garage. He's like, yeah, and you're just like sweating, cut, like tetanus. You're stepping on nails. And he's like, you're earning $20 each. You should be happy. And you're like, I don't, I'm not. I want to go. Like, I want to go and play Nintendo. I'm not going to lie. Like, you have sort of ruddy-faced, nerdy sons. Like, just own up to it. So when we were 16, <laughs> my dad, every summer we would get this. He'd be like, I got your summer job. And my brother and I collected would just be like, and so when I was 16, he was like, I got your summer job. And we were both like, all right, what is it? He's like, go to this address in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. <laughs> we're like, all right, all right can, can we know where we're going? He's like, You'll see. <laughs> it's a shooting range. Not only is it a shooting range for two weeks, because this is his theory, by the way, was it's the same thing as the $20 Proud. You're going to be making as much money in two weeks as you would be working the entire summer, and then you can get another job that I'm lining up for you. So, because in two weeks, it's an international shooting tournament. And what our job was is to set targets. But the way this worked was there's a series of slowly, gently rising hills the targets are set on. Until there's two large rising hills at the back. So these guys would line up and shoot. Now the front set were like small birds and small creatures. And you'd shoot those and they'd fall over. And little kids would run out. And they'd reset these things really quick. And it was really cute. And everybody was like kind of applauding them. But towards the back were the turkeys and the pigs. Which were the grown man. Like they were the, they were the big boys. You had to be 16 to work on the pigs. And you had to be 14 to work on the turkeys. Because of the weight and because of the danger. Because you would run up this from this little, there's a little bunker right behind, and I was a turkey, but my brother and I were turkeys, because we hadn't turned 16 in, in time to get pigs. <laughs> so, they're 45 pounds, you, your job was to run up with a can of flat, ba- uh, flat black paint. You climbed up a vertical ladder to the top, as soon as the shooting was done, and this raggedy little microphone that kind of worked, which will come into play later would, you know, be like, turkeys, go! And you'd immediately launch yourself out of this tin bunker, and you'd sprint running down. There's like six guys, and you're running down, and you're flipping these things up, and it's 106 degrees in Tennessee, and it's flat black metal, and you just, your know, hands are just blistering, you're flipping it up, and you spray where the bullet hit it, and then you just go to the next one, and you go, and you have a very set, limited time for the next round starts. And they'll be like, turkeys, you better get back down the bunker! And you're like, Run! And it was terrifying because it's not the guy who was doing the announcing was not this most sober guy. So there were definitive moments of like turkeys go, turkeys no, turkeys no, down turkey. Because there was like one dude left on the range, like still shooting, and you'd be huddled like, and you'd like something like hit a target, and you're like, oh my god. 
Or you'd hear ricochets off the building, which was made of corrugated tin, by the way. <laughs> so it's not like it's a bullet. You know, and there were, disconcertingly, small holes that just reeked of, like, previous bullet holes, ricochets in the side that let sunlight in. You'd, always, you'd be sitting in this thing, hundred, like, hunkered down, hundreds of shots going on, and you're like, I'm dead. Like, I just, like... They're simply. What do you think? No wonder we work for two weeks. Like they have to replace us all after two weeks. Um, the worst part of this, and the reason it ties into what we do here, is that we're definitely nerds. Like my brother and I are nerds, man. We had the softest, most fleshy hands to burn <laughs> on these things, and we sat in this bunker with kids who, like, they're not there for. They're they're there for food money. They're there because, like, you know, they're just there to get away from like drunken beatings and like because they're. They're lied to say they're 16 and they're 30. You know, like they're just meth. Like that's why they're there. And we would be, my, we would be sent away each day with like a really nice cooler of like, well, here's a couple of cokes for you each, and you know, here's sandwiches, and you know, I will pack it all in ice because it's so hot in that tin court. If it's 106 outside, it's 125 inside that. And so we would get there with that cooler and sit opposite, scooted up together on a bench opposite like five other dudes that were just. Angry, and they had like whatever they'd scrounged up to eat, and like they'd be like, Turkey, you can have lunch. And we're like, We don't want to reach into this thing because, like, it's so like being opposite those guys feels like so. You know, we'd end up just sharing our food out, like, You guys probably you want half this baloney sandwich, right? It's coke and Twinkies, you guys like Twinkies. You know, every day we'd get home, my dad'd be like, Guys, you're hungry, you're working up an appetite. We're like, We're not getting our food, we're scared. Like, these guys are gonna kill us. So, other than, I mean, you know, we were never were shot. Um, we did get close, obviously with turkeys down, uh, but it's just those moments you realize that uh, it's not worth twenty dollars. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> to this day, when summer rolls around, I'm like, uh, I usually take summers off. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> that's my story. Thank you. Someone talk about almost dying, uh, Alex, <laughs> last month. Yeah, oh, this is darkness. We're a violent crowd. Uh, Matt, how about a few more songs, buddy? Okay. Um, this song actually has a short story to go with it. Uh, the very first thing I did when I got my driver's license was go to a restaurant by myself because I thought that was so cool. I was able to eat by myself. And when I went to the waitress, I went to the restaurant. And the waitress was um, she had bruises all over her like arms and like her neck and stuff because someone had been beating her and this is what the song is about so this is a very episode. dour episode <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a song about domestic violence uh, so. in the key of G <laughs> okay I'm sorry to depress you all um, if you like my stuff I'm on Twitter at Heckler Music my name is Matt Heckler and I'm on Tumblr at hecklermusic.tumblr.com so I post about the shows and stuff so you ready you want to start it or Right after the opening riff, like when I start throwing the actual chords. Cool. Okay. So, one,
find your best cover up I ask you how you're faring But you're not in the mood for sharing Shutting up